even during what feels like very uncertain, very confusing, and very chaotic times for so many people, there are a tremendous amount of lessons that financial brand and fintech leaders can learn and more importantly apply to maximize their future growth potential in the age of AI. What are these lessons to pay attention to? Let's find out together in today's episode of Banking on Digital Growth. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Sam Kilmore back to the show. Sam is an experienced fintech advisor at Cornerstone Advisors and he also is a host of the Fintech Hustle podcast, which I highly recommend you check out because I know you're already a listener of podcasts. Over the years, Sam and I have had some really good conversations, lively conversations on this podcast about future growth opportunities for financial brands. And today is going to be no different because Sam and I are going to guide you as we catch up on what's really happening right now in fintech. Welcome back to the show, Sam. It is always good to share time with you. Great to be with you again, James Robert, as always. Before we get into what has been going on in the in the world of fintech or in the halls of fintech, as as you say, I always like to start off this show on a positive note. What has been good for you personally or professionally? It is your pick to get started. Well, on a personal level, our oldest son graduated from university and he's actually out on his own, just, just engaged with his longtime girlfriend. So they're, they're happy. My middle son's a junior in college and our youngest is a 14-year-old hockey player, so we're keeping busy with hockey games and Boy Scouts and all that good stuff. And so life is good on the home front, I think, as it is for you too, James. A lot of the home front also is the work front. Yes. is the home in many cases. And I've actually been blessed to be home the entire month of April, including my birthday. My wife and I were talking about how over the years, it's like I was never home on my birthday. Right. It's like a very minor thing, right? Yes. Um, you don't take these things for granted. You know, if you get to spend your birthday with your family, it's pretty cool. You know, I actually have some some no-fly dates. They're my kids' birthdays, and I was actually up in Chicago for a meeting and was going to stay long, and my wife kindly reminded me that it's your daughter's birthday. It's not that I forgot her birthday. It's just, you know, you, you just get busy. You, you roll into it, but no, I'm always home for birthdays and anniversaries like those are complete blackout days for me no negotiation and truth be told it caused a little bit of conflict in uh in early marriage so we figured out how to work that together and i think i mean that's a kind of a key thing you know when we're thinking about everything that's been going on in financial services and banking and fintech it's communication communication is key you know we're maybe out of this perceived banking crisis maybe we're not um, I think there was a, a tremendous amount of lessons to be learned and it all comes down to trust and trust something that you recently posted on LinkedIn you noted trust 
is the most precious currency in banking once again. And we just can't tell people to stay calm. Don't panic. That won't cut it in this hyper-connected social digital world. Why trust? Where's your thoughts on this? It's something that many of us may have taken for granted in, in the banking industry in more recent years. I think the tricky part with trust I think we all kind of get it that it's important. It's just that at certain crisis moments like this, it shows up to be the fundamental that it is. And I think where I think where people struggle a little bit with it, and all of us I would say do, uh, but I see it definitely in fintech companies that they struggle with it. Um, why? It it I'll tell you why they, and the the operative word being tell. You know, your presentation at Finnovate where you asked everybody to think about what they were doing in 1994 and they, yeah. everybody was thinking for themselves and you were showing them a way through how to think about their own journeys, mm. um, which is sounds pretty straightforward. The problem is, is that many of us grew up in a world where we're used to telling people things instead of showing them and mm. trust has to be shown. You have to demonstrate that you're doing things to help them and that you're competent as a bank or a fintech. That has to be shown to them. And showing and telling are different. Yeah. And um, oftentimes they're confused. And I will tell you that I think one of the things you and I have talked about around, for example, Finnovate, where I've been a judge, uh, as well as uh, like the BAI Global Innovation Awards, uh, where I've been a judge, is like, I'm always looking for what is what is coming through that shows something as opposed to tell 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 it, it, it's i would say that it's very common whether it's a bank bank leaders trying to describe their response to the recent activities in the market or a fintech company trying to illustrate the impact that their solution will have on a use case for example if it's tell 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 show tell tell that's not going to work. It doesn't work. Whereas if you sort of allow the show to take precedent and allow the actions to almost more organically envelop people, you don't have to tell them as much and it's more credible. It's communication at its core, showing or telling. My daughter, she just turned seven and she wanted a Hot Wheels monster truck from Monster Jam and was just so excited about it. She says, I'm going to take this to school for show and tell because she wants to communicate what she received and the joy and the happiness that that brought her and share that with other people. Now, she could tell others about it, but when she brings that, Hot Wheels Monster Jam Monster Truck and shows the class, it's a completely different experience. And when we're thinking about experiences, and you mentioned, you know, taking people back to 1994 and reflecting on their journey and and thinking through experience, how important is this going to be going forward through the lens of fintech? through the lens of banking, to think through our thinking, particularly now that we have entered into the age of AI, where 
doing things get commoditized and therefore our value can be further created through our thinking. What, what are your thoughts on that? Think about each step of the buying process. I mean, digital growth, it, it's what we think about, right? Which yeah. is how do people buy? How do organizations effectively help uh, people? I think if you just take the traditional pipeline, right. you know, or the funnel of a pipeline and think about how do people, how do people go about the, the, the process of dealing with another organization? I think if you, if you look at each one of those kind of steps and, you know, for argumentative purposes, I'll, I'll, you could bust it into two, three categories, or you could bust it into eight. I might bust it into four and call it awareness, interest, decision, action. You yep. Know? Awareness, each, consideration, or, purchase. Yep. Yeah. Just yeah. Right. What pick your flavors of funnel? I think just think. Okay, what worked for awareness twenty years ago versus what is important now? I mean, it, I think, and we still see this a lot in a lot of bank and credit union websites or digital assets as well as a fintech digital assets is, I, I call it the buy our stuff at buyourstuff.com because our stuff's cool. So like when I go look at a, a site, it's sort of like the first time that one of my sons was looking at the Cornerstone website, this is about 10 years ago, and he saw my bio and he was reading it in a like a, a mock voice walking down the staircase one day. His point was, you know, it was this long, kind of formal academic yarn, blah, 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 blah. Nobody talks like that anymore, if they yeah. ever did. More importantly, it's too many words, right? It's like, how do you let people show themselves how to help themselves? What, what tools are you providing, whether you're a bank or a fintech, to allow someone to show themselves an education on a given topic? Or is it just telling them our stuff's cool, so buy our stuff at ourstuff.com? Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown, Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. The world has certainly changed. If we ever did want to buy that prior way, I'm not sure we did, but even if we did, we don't do that anymore. So telling, my the point is, is that if you tell too much and you don't give people helpful showing vehicles, it's demonstrating itself to be way more annoying than it used to be. Well, one of the big concerns I think that I see right now where we're talking about help and coming back to the, the Finnovate session keynote I did, I, I said people, particularly in times of crisis, in times of chaos, in times of confusion, people are looking for two things. They're looking for help and they're looking for hope. And hope often has to come long before one is able and willing and open to receive mm-hmm. help. And I know that you contributed to the uh, 2023 Bankers is Buyers Report. And one of the things that really surprised me uh, is the perspective that people have right now, financial brand leaders have. 47% responded that they feel somewhat optimistic about uh, the prospects of the, the banking industry. 
shared they feel somewhat pessimistic. So we've got this kind of this split here, half glass full, half glass empty. What do you think is driving this split in thinking first? And and then I'm going to come back to a follow-up to that to really, I hope you can give some help and give some hope to inspire the listener, particularly if they're in the glass half empty sure. right now and they're feeling a little bit pessimistic. And understandably so, understandably so. Yeah, and, I, and I'll also say that that um, study that you're referring to that was in the, the, the William Mills Bankers as Buyers report comes from our What's Going On in Banking uh, research. And that was actually, that poll that went into that research was conducted um, early in the year, actually, uh, in I believe it was in late December. So it was actually before the, 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 the most recent, right. the most recent trouble. So context even, is everything. Even coming into 23, I would say the way to characterize it is, is that the market financial brand leaders were incrementally more pessimistic than they were last year. And I would say that based upon the recent activities, they're incrementally even more pessimistic. But it's not, I would say the key word there would be incrementally, meaning it's not like everybody went, is thinking there's a depression going on. Sure. What we're seeing now is people need to be shown, back to the show and tell versus tell, people need to be shown the impact, the use cases, the help, much, much more explicitly now. There was a lot of free money flying around fintech Mm. two, three years ago, where if you ask somebody, okay, I see your cocktail napkin, TAM, <laughs> total addressable market estimate there at 10 billion and that you've got a cool demo, but what what is your, you know, like what is the actual fix for my bank yeah. or what, you know, and what is the actual obtainable market realistically for my bank or my fintech? Um, a key word there is obtainable. I think the pessimism that is very, very, it can be very, very um, clarifying and can be very constructive. Um, it's pushing a lot more conflict now because, you know, when there's a lot of free money going around and you don't have as many, you don't have as many resource arguments, you don't have to be as clear on what the use cases are and what the impact are. So I think it's really driving uh, banks now to be much, much more crystal clear on show me the use cases and on fintech organizations on show the impact. And by show the impact, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, super detailed ROI analysis. I think a lot of times people get really, really lost in the weeds on ROI as opposed to um, just hammering home the impact and setting expectations right with the board of directors. Sure. When you're talking about TAM, you know, total addressable market, maybe there's an opportunity to transform that into TOM, total obtainable market, the, the being more realistic with what it is that, okay, I'm a fintech and I have this platform, this opportunity. Well, what does that look like within the market for a particular financial brand? And providing clarity around that realistically. And then I think, too, maybe falling back, whether you're a bank or a fintech or a credit union, communication once again. You know, you, you have this, this, this spectrum of, I feel clear and confident, 
or I feel confused and conflicted. And we actually use that spectrum when doing digital secret shopping studies on financial brand websites. But I also think about whenever we're communicating from say a FinTech to a financial brand or a financial brand into the marketplace, we can fall back into the Latin perspective of omni trium perfectum. All good things come in threes. It's like, what are the three things that we're trying to communicate and not just tell it, but show the use case, show the practicality of that. And by the, I think it's, it's that clarity through that communication, through the showing that increases the level of courage to commit, to move forward with confidence. Without that, those elements, people still feel confused, they feel frustrated, they feel stuck, and they maybe even, back to the point here, they feel a little bit pessimistic. Once again, I think people are, are looking for help and hope, but hope has to come before help. Am I missing something with this thought process? No, you're not. And I, I think the other that's very related to what you were talking about, James Robert, is people don't want to be forgotten. Where this tends to show up, I find, is even really earnest, well-intentioned people, processes, and technology. So let's mm. take a couple. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Um, I've worked with um, a couple of fintech firms that have just first-rate sales and marketing teams that spend a lot of time in discovery sessions with a potential client. And... I find that many, many cases in these discovery sessions, they're asking, I mean, I might change 20% of what they're asking, and, but they're asking and they're listening intently and it's clear that they care. But when they move from the awareness and interest phase of the pipeline where they've done the discovery call into moving that forward to a decision, in what I find oftentimes is that when they're coming back, with a, let's just call it the storytelling aspect of the of the pro, of the funnel, which is your sales presentation, your demos, yep. your your uh, impact assessments, all those things that now bring someone who's interested in what you do. Yep, actually making a decision. So we're moving from awareness into consideration. We're considering. Right, right. They, they they forget. So what I mean is they they for example they ask a bank. You know, what? I, I, I was looking over your earnings report. I was see that, you know, commercial is a really big area for you. You're, you know, treasury is one of your focused areas, et cetera, et cetera. And then they show up for the demo and they lead with mortgage. It's like, wait, we just talked about this. We, mortgage is not that big of a deal to us. Right. Why would you, why would you start off your storyline talking about mortgage lending when you have commercial and you already knew that commercial was important to us. What happened there, I wouldn't call it rudeness because it's not deliberate. I would call it forgetting. Yeah. And it, it impacts the show because if you had the process of listening and bringing and absorbing what is important to someone, and then you forget about it. The best example of this in consumer marketing, we run across, James Robert, I know you probably run across this too, is going to a website where you at some point acknowledge who you are you know, you, you go to a bank's website and you log in. Yeah. And then when you go to actually open up an account or start or, or, or engage their blog or something, and, they, and then they ask you who you are, fill in your first name. You already, you already know who I am. You forgot me. 
People don't want to be forgotten. So whether it's people forgetting them from a fintech company in the middle of the decision-making process or a process or a website or a mobile app forgetting who they are and what they care about, it's just a, it's an epic fail. And candidly, with as much pessimism as there is, it's increasingly becoming unforgivable because people have better options and competitors are getting better at not forgetting. And, you know, I want to stick on this theme of people don't want to feel like they've been left out. People don't want to feel forgotten. People love to be acknowledged. People want to be the hero of their own little narrative. And I think, you know, as we look ahead, particularly in the age of AI around communication, around placing micro deposits into the trust fund that sits between people's ears, whether they or a bank CEO uh, that a fintech is bringing uh, an opportunity to, or they are a consumer in the marketplace that a credit union is trying to create value for. Human-centered content is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And I think about the work that you're you know, you're doing with the, the Fintech Hustle, the work that we're doing here with the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. It's, it's about people. It is a different way of thinking about making connections. And when we think about what happened on November 30th with AI reaching the mass consciousness of humanity through the launch of ChatGPT, and we see how quickly that is continuing to evolve, I think there's a potential for written content to a degree to become somewhat commoditized. And then maybe as a result in the subconscious mind of buyers, regardless of who the buyer is, financial brand leader or consumer, that they're going to look for alternative ways to learn, gain knowledge, and those that bring themselves to the market as a human through video, through audio, will have, I think, a strategic competitive advantage compared to just, say, written content. And I think the interesting thing is, is the now all of that audio video content can then be transcribed and then use the AI to create the written content. So you're kind of getting this multiplication effect. Where are you seeing that when people don't want to be forgotten, utilizing some of these communication tools to not just tell, but to then show we're here. Like right. we are, we are people behind this thing and we care. Well, there's, there's two, two things that come to mind to me. One would be continuously improving the context, mm. your use of context. And then the second one would be accountability. I'll start with context with what I mean by that is, you know, chat GPT or other tools can, are doing a great job at being able to create like a rev one. Yep. Of something, right? Oh, just give me give me something that structurally meets this, that, that that basically holds up to these standards. Okay, great. But I think what people are seeing is we've not always been good, great at using context when we haven't had AI, <laughs> uh, much less when there is AI. So the the main thing I'm always looking for are things like if are the examples that are used. Are for example, if it's a fintech and in, you, in a sales and marketing process, are the systems that I'm using at my bank being called out by name? Did they hear me in the discovery process? Are they using generic examples? 
are they uh, are the examples that they're using applied to my business model my what I care about what keeps me up at night what systems I use by name uh, like-minded peers and clients by name by name so name dropping is an interesting thing I've heard people say well I don't want to be a name dropper what I find is is that actually I go the other direction I think names are really important because it tells people they aren't forgotten not just their name not just re not just reminding them that you've heard their name but all the names around them right, right? So you don't end up with generic copy you end up with specific because you only get so many words you only get so much time to show someone you care and the more words you have that are generic and not about them the more dilutive you become so that's context on the accountability side is around your organization or around your execution. So it's become very common in the industry right now to say, well, we have the products, but we're actually going to defer to a third party who's actually going to do all the systems integration. And, you know, somebody else is going to be responsible for actually, I actually had a fintech company um, tell me one time, let me introduce you to a systems integrator that works with a lot of our clients because they actually know what our clients are doing. I said, let me see if I get this straight. You're telling me, you're offering up to me that you don't know what your clients are doing. And they will, and they willingly said yes. And this is becoming a pattern, by the way, in the industry where there are some large companies that are saying, well, we're kind of getting out of integration and implementation. And my only caution to that is, is I love third parties. I mean, believe me, we're, we're a consulting firm. We have nothing against using third parties to help on projects, right? It's very good to us. But on the other hand, I think it shows care to actually know what your clients are doing, to actually to know, to, to be insightful about what, because it shows accountability. And so in my mind, James Robert, I think the more AI comes along, and I think it has a lot of promise. I'm not a naysayer on AI as much as show me the use cases. But the two things I'm always looking for are are the organizations applying and making sure that there's context and showing accountability? It's a great point. Um, one on the context side, but I think even more so on the accountability because we're going to loop this all the way back to trust. Trust, as I wrote about in Banking on Digital Growth, it's, an, it's, it's the glue within the pyramid of the human relationship. Uh, you know, respect is at the foundation of every positive relationship. Love is at the pinnacle, love being commitment. But it is trust that bridges that gap between respect and love. And when we look at trust, trust is built upon two key elements, what you say and what you do. And what you say that could be the context it could also be showing, but what you do, there's that accountability piece mm -hmm. that you're tapping into right here. I will be the first to admit that that is a growth area for me. And a lot of that is built into just in, and it, this really just, it drove me up the wall of why I struggled with, we'll call follow through. Um, uh, number one, uh, ADD. Number two, it is really how I just naturally operate. Um, and that has been backed by what I took what is called my Colby profile. Um, we did a podcast on this and we're now using Colby as a methodology to work with financial brand leaders. But I think with, when you look at financial brand leaders, 
they're the way that they initiate action or the way that they solve problems is by fact finding and by following through. Um, that is their MO. But when we say we'll come over to the fintech side of things, perhaps maybe a little bit more entrepreneurial, they probably have more of the profile that I have, which is I, f- I take action and solve problems by quick starting. Um, and I'll just jump into it. Uh, I'm actually a nine out of a 10 scale in the quick start mode within the Colby uh, index. I'm a two out of 10 on follow through. So I think that is so critically, it's that idea of self-awareness here, number one, and then two, ensuring that you have others around you to help bridge those. I'm not going to call them deficiencies. That's how I used to look at it because I'm uniquely me. I have strengths. I have really key things that I do great, but then there's other things that I'm like, I need some help here and being able to raise my hand. That takes a little bit of courage too, right? To... To, yeah, to I, I, the, it, it is. What I love is I love the fact that you're self-aware um, and that you're assessing and that you care enough to be self-aware. <laughs> I think that I think if I apply that lesson to the banking and fintech market, one thing I would say, and this is a this is a bit of a, a challenge for the market, is that historically technology and banking has been interwoven for. I mean, forever. For my yeah. entire career, I mean, I was using green screen teller systems as a as a part time teller, floating teller in college. So technology has been around. That wasn't great technology, but it was technology. But the point I would just make is is that historically, the back office the back office of a bank was tech driven, and for most banks, it was outsourced to someone else who was responsible for that. Mm-hmm. But the front office of a bank was largely people and facilities for the longest time. Yeah. So banks took responsibility for their people and their facilities. But they didn't take a lot of responsibility. Many times they didn't take any responsibility for their back office technology. They threw that over the fence essentially to a third party. And by the way, I've worked for those types of companies. Building and maintaining those types of systems is really hard work. It's work that banks weren't used to doing for the longest time. Now the tricky part is whether it's demonstrating trust and the things that you've been talking about is the front office of a bank now, or the, what do you want to call that? The, the front user stage. Yeah. Tech. You know, 99 times out of 100, they're experiencing you on a mobile app. They're using online banking. They're connecting their debit card to their Apple wallet. I, mean, mm. I could go, we could sit here and list them all. Right. It, it's a foregone. The point is, is how are you, how are you taking responsibility and accountability for all of that now? Because historically, you didn't take responsibility and have accountability for it. You simply tried to strangle your core vendor and say, "Well, they didn't do something. They didn't do something." The challenge for many banks right now and fintech companies, candidly, but more so for banks. Fintech companies are building things. Yeah. Most banks have historically not built things. Other than branches, they didn't build any systems. The, the, they, they deferred it to someone else. And if you want to take responsibility and be accountable for your customer experience now, with all these different systems to connect together, you have to have people on staff that know how to integrate systems, people on staff that know how to do partnerships, 
probably people on staff to actually develop some systems or at least some connectors or things around the edges of your business model. That is really new ground for a lot of banks. It's not for fintechs, but it's- No, it's not. And once again, it's that entrepreneurial perspective of building things from nothing. Um, how how does self-awareness play into this perspective here? Because this is a very unique point of view that I think is worth maybe giving a little bit more thinking around because I can think of someone who's listening. It's like, yeah, what, what Sam just said, I get. We haven't built things. We've deferred. Mm-hmm. We've outsourced. Yeah. Where does self-awareness play back into this? Because when, you you know, I, I often talk about, and, and this is a whole key thesis of Banking on Change, uh, my second book that will be coming out soon, all transformation begins within. It all starts with the individual, then the team, then the organization. And I think when we've looked at quote-unquote digital transformation, we've tried to, to work from an organizational level down to the team, from the team into the individual. But the individual, there's so much conflict there that, you know, communication, trust. I mean, things that we're talking about on the external side comes back to the internal. Where does self-awareness play in all of this? Well, it, it's it's massive because I, I think the first thing that you – you know, you mentioned, you know, I think maybe some of your strengths or weaknesses that you pulled out of your assessment. I think one thing is to be, be to be open to that. Leaders are self-aware and leadership teams are self-aware. And I think for most banks and fintechs where this is coming down to, my colleague at Cornerstone, Ryan Rackley, has something he talks about called the technology performance life cycle, where there is an acknowledgement that we need a very deliberate process to provoke our teams mm-hmm. and our leaders to getting things done. You know, do we need to build something here? If not, how do we know that we don't? Oh, have we looked at other options? Okay. Oh, we don't really know about wealth management, but we feel like we have to get into it. Who can we get involved that will know that? And that there's this deliberate kind of circle of life from knowing key strategic pain points that need to be solved because of use cases, and then gathering intelligence, um, having frank, oftentimes with conflict conversations, not only with our industry provider vendors, but FinTech partners and our internal development teams, like if we're building some things ourselves. And making sure that we don't just play nicey-nice, that we have that process that brings forth that conflict that makes sure that, we, that we're that we bringing it full circle and that we are actually showing ourselves and showing our customers that we care, not telling them that we care by, you know, buy our stuff at buyourstuff.com, but showing it, yes. you know? And so I would say just... What do leaders do? You went through a deliberate assessment, didn't you? You found an assessment and you went through it. Go through it, you know, look for deliberate, set forth deliberate processes. You don't have to take our technology performance life cycle as it is. Customize it for yourself. Fine, that's fine. But do something. Don't assume that those things will get done because you probably came from a world where it was about facilities and people. Right. Not about building tech or having people on staff that knew how to build and integrate things and that right there i'm 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 kind of like lining up with a framework out of banking on change review what you've done learn through the experiences the good the bad the ugly think through how you can apply those insights to then do even better 
to then review, learn, think, do, and just repeat that process over and over and over again. And that will ensure that you never get stuck doing what you've always done. And it's a whole different way of, 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 of thinking. It's a whole different way of operating. Once again, I think it's more inherent to the technology space built, you know, when you build agile methodologies into this, as we wrap up here, one thing the dear listener can do next on their own journey of growth to move forward and to make progress as, as all growth is, is created by the simple steps that we take today. One small thing. What would that recommendation be for you? Um, you uh, use, use very, very, very simple examples to show value as opposed to use extremely complex technical language to tell somebody something. An example by name with a named financial institution or a named organization, a client that you helped, names, tying it to something, that kind of context, it's it's hard to AI yourself through all that. You, you, right. At some point, you, you, you show yourself and your organization to be the caring organization that you are, or you show yourself to be by our stuff at byourstuff.com. And then it all comes down to people. It all comes down to humanity. It all comes down to human experience, the experiences that we've had and how we're able to apply them through the proper context and then be able to hold people accountable to continue to move forward. Speaking of, of, of holding people accountable, what's the best way that they can reach out to you if they're looking for some accountability, Sam? How can they, how can they reach out, say hello, continue to learn from you? Oh, we're multi-channel over here. We've got the FinTech Hustle podcast um, uh, that I host. Uh, we have Gonzo Banker. Uh, I'm available on Twitter, Sam Kilmer, and uh, LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, I also pick up the phone occasionally as well. So the <laughs> point is this. Our business is about advising. We're certainly not here to pitch, but uh, if there's a way that we can help, you know, we're always looking to do it, whether it's with us or if we can point you to somewhere else to get the resources. Sam, thank you for sharing your knowledge, sharing your expertise. As always, this has been a fun conversation. You too, bud. Take care. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, Visit digitalgrowth.com slash insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.